Okay, back on another one. This time, Dr. Zero Trust Show. I've got somebody on that's uh, I look up to. I've been reading her stuff. I've followed her online. You guys should go check this out. Go get the book right now. Read it twice. Um, the Devil Never Sleeps. Juliet, would you mind giving a quick run through on some of your you know, crazy history and who you yeah. are? Hi, Chase. Thank you so much. And thanks to listeners. Um, I'm Juliet Kaim. I'm a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government and spent a career in, uh, I guess, risk reduction. I was uh, a state homeland security advisor here in Massachusetts. I was an advisor to the attorney general and, and then assistant secretary for DHS at in the Obama administration, I do a lot of corporate consulting and, and uh, media work. I'm on air for CNN and then write for The Atlantic. And my newest book is The Devil Never Sleeps, Learning to Live in an Age of Disasters. It's sort of, I've been thinking about it for 20 years, but wrote it the last year. So it comes out uh, on March 29th or will be out. It's Yeah, I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy. Um, I read half of it on the flight I was down. I read the other half on the way back. And then ever since then, I've been taking notes. And oh. it's funny because you know, live in an age of disaster, the disasters don't seem to stop. I mean, yep. we just, what's, what's tomorrow, Friday, what's Friday's disaster. Right, exactly. And I think, I think that's like sort of the, the first lesson, which is we, we tend to talk, especially after COVID, we tend to talk about like a new normal. Well, the new normal is also going to uh, encounter the devil. So I'm very, the devil never sleeps is just, we don't know what the risk or threat is going to be. So if we just think about disaster management differently as sort of inevitable as standard operating procedure, what do we wish we had done to prepare for that inevitably inevitable ability uh, rather than the surprise? So um, I, I was thinking, so how do I sum up my book in a bumper sticker? And I said, I'm teaching people how to fail safer uh, that, you know, and, and it's not that I, it's not that I don't want people to try to stop the terrorists or the cyber attacks or the climate change. It is just my, my focus is on what we call the moment of the boom, right? The, that moment that something bad happens, right? So if you think about the two time periods that I think about. I think about left a boom, which is how do you stop the bad thing from happening? And right a boom is all the things that you do because to, to try to save lives. Well, at the moment of boom, there's actually a lot that we could do uh, that, that makes us uh, makes the harms less. So my standard of success is less bad. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's important, especially in, in the space that you're in, in terms of cyber. Yeah. So I, 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 one of the ones I really took away when I walked, when I read through the, and this was in uh, the, the chapter in what's in a name, it was on page yeah, 24. Yeah. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. So imagine a world as we must now where risk is, is there always in cyber. I would say that it's always there to put it more directly. Let's stop trying to control probability when it comes to disasters and start trying to control the consequences. Yes. Can you can you expand yeah. on that? Yeah. So it's, it's you know in the in the risk world, you know, think about insurance, right? You're sort of trying to put calculations or numbers behind uh, this risk or that risk and what's going to happen. But the truth is, you know, the consequences are inevitably going to be the same. So we tend to be too particularized in our disaster management planning. We, we worry about cyber attacks and then we worry about a pandemic and then we worry about an active shooter. Well, it, it, the, the benefit, I guess, if you would call it of centuries of disasters that I looked at is actually there's common response uh, successes. 
uh, that we can learn from that prepare us for anything. And I think that's really important because I think we get too focused on risk analysis rather than on consequence analysis. And I, I think cyber is probably one of my best examples where, um, where companies spend a significant amount of time uh, trying to stop breach and a less significant uh, amount of time uh, what will happen when it happens? Uh, and we saw that say for Colonial Pipeline, right? Is, is in other words, like, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to shut down your pipelines to half of, of, of the Eastern United States. And, um, and, uh, and thinking about, okay, what, what would happen? I, Chase, I, I do a lot of corporate tabletops and the number of cyber tabletops that focus on stopping breach. And then when the breach happens, like everyone sort of is like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, okay, we have to close that breach rather than, okay, what will happen? Uh, how do we protect X, Y, and Z? How do we protect core functions? How do we uh, stop the, what we call the cascading losses? We can make things less bad, even if we assume that the devil will arrive. So that, I mean, that's a really core piece of what you wrote about here was, I mean, and I tell people all this time in my consulting around, um, accept the reality of compromise, like you yeah, will yeah. be breached. And part of your whole thing too, was accepting that that's failure is kind of a given it's, there is no perfection. Yeah. And that's then yeah. moving on. Right. Right. That's only, that's like, okay, that's obvious. Right. And, and, and then Right then, what do you wish you had done at the moment of the boom, right? Another, and you can do that now because you're anticipating it, right? So one of the things that I discovered after being in this world, but then you finally sit down to write the, right? This is another book, but this book that I wanted to write is that the word disaster, I think, has, um, has paralyzed us in ways that we, we, are, um, we are accepting the surprise aspects of it. Disaster, the word dis meaning not or bad, and aster meaning from the stars. So, so the word is essentially the, the, um, some random misalignment of the stars causes uh, a, a disruption on earth. And it puts humankind in a very passive decision, uh, position rather than us asserting agency and saying, yeah, that disaster is going to happen. And what, and what are the different things that, that we can do? And the, the benefit of lots of evidence of the truth of this statement is that, um, that while the problems and the threats may not follow patterns um, or probabilities, the solutions often do. Uh, they're sort of universal, right? So communication, situational awareness, stop the cascading losses, all the things that you and, and I talk about. So the, 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 the hope of the book is that I, I sort of open up a curtain to a world that, uh, uh, and how it thinks about success uh, and failure, uh, and also empower people to, to en envision that, those same metrics. Do you feel like based on your experience and all the deep history you've had here, like a lot of times it's, it's people just not accepting what the reality is, or are they, yeah. are they just woefully blind eye yeah. to it? Because they don't want to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, there's a, 
decades of scholarship on crisis leadership and, and how leaders think. And you know, some of it may be you know, sort of an optimism bias that you're just assuming that the bad thing can happen. Some of it is evil, right? You're just not behaving right. Uh, and I, I sort of take motivation out of all of it. I just sort of assume uh, that, that, uh, uh, that th those are hard to judge and that the causes of why something bad happens may vary. Uh, but the consequences often do not, right? And that's that's the way we need to think about disasters rather than single moments of time uh, in time about some destruction that we move from Hurricane Katrina to Hurricane Sandy to Hurricane Maria um, and think of them as as you know sort of different moments of time rather than these there's there's commonalities of what worked and what doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed um, chapter five, which was stop the bleed. And, That's my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. And, and, and part, part of the one that really struck out to me was you talked about the issues of soldiers in combat in yeah. Iraq. Yeah. And the whole thing of they, they're training people instead of, you know, wait for the care, wait for the nine line, wait for the you know, flight evac and all the other stuff. Stop the bleeding. Keep the breathing, you know, move forward from there. Right. Uh, how does I mean, how does that? apply in the context of what we're looking at in the cybersecurity space. Right, so I definitely um, uh, learned a lot about sort of battlefield medicine and how it changed. And you know, it's, it, it seems so obvious to us now, just given the kind of wars that we fight and it's certainly becoming obvious to the, to the Russian military uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, is what, what they're encountering in Ukraine is, is uh, that uh, the, the, old, the old standard procedure was that it was too dangerous to take care of a soldier on the quote unquote battlefield. So that the training was you get the soldier off the battlefield to a medic, you know, to, to a, a medical tent or somewhere, whatever. So that doesn't work in Iraq because you, you've got IED explosions, injuring soldiers who should not be dying from those explosions. If you could have a tourniquet and the right kind of blood clotting foams and, uh, you know, modern medicine, it just has to be administered by a non-medic. And so you saw, you saw first, what's interesting is you saw first the Pentagon invest a lot in prevention. They built their cars different, their armored vehicles different. They, they tried to protect the soldier, realizing that was not possible. They then focused on, well, we're going to try to stop the bleed and that our measure of success isn't who gets hit by an IED, but whether, who survives. That ended up working. Uh, and so, uh, so that way of thinking about it is I'm, I'm, there's going to be a harm and my standard of success is, can I stop the bleed? Uh, in this case, it's life, but it could be property, cyber, privacy, whatever. And how, 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 how do I wish I would have done that? So I think going back to Colonial Pipeline, I think it, I think it really is a, a moment where security planners really realized how screwed up things were. This is a company that sort of bifurcated its cybersecurity from its physical security, how that how you could do that seems, but it's very common in critical infrastructure. So they get this totally random, not very interesting ransomware attack. It wasn't very expensive. They pay it off. This is sort of the cost of business right now. And uh, it, the fix doesn't work. And because they had not planned through, well, what would happen of a breach of our HR and, and administrative uh, network? Uh, they could not stop its impact on their operational network. That meant that they were fearful of what we call pumping blind, that they were going to be pumping oil into 
uh, gas pipelines that they could not uh, monitor and measure. And so they had to shut down for a week. That's, that's not a solution. The on-off switch is you sort of want that to be your last solution. So it's about more sophisticated response planning in this regard. Yeah, and I, I think too that one other part that stuck out to me as I read through this, um, the math nerd in me started reading yeah. this on normalization of deviance. And, yes. And I underline this, normalization of deviance is the tendency to ignore near misses rather than acknowledge them as red siren warnings that the system may be facing a meltdown. Yeah. I mean, we see that daily in yeah. cyber. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I look at stuff and show them I can find vulnerable assets right now and I'll tell them and then nothing changes. Yeah. That, right. Because they think because they think because it hasn't been exploited yet. So the standardization of deviance comes from uh studies of the of the uh challenger shuttle uh explosion. Oh, the explosion um, the and so the, right, the, the the precipitating event was the O-ring, uh, was that the O-ring could not function under the colder weathers and then what could not could not basically hold so if you thought what caused it but then looking back yeah you know, it's the o-ring right but then you think sort of what's responsible right for that for that failure it turns out that there were lots of red sirens going off in the building of, of uh, in, in nasa's planning lots of people worried about various different things but none of them hit and so what happened is NASA sort of created this culture of the, the you know, standard deviation, which is, which is all of these false alarms are um, proof that we can go forward because none of them are, are breaching the boom. Uh, instead of, wow, we have a system that is incredibly under stress and any number of these couple dozen things that, that are sort of flashing red lights, one of them may go. It turned out it was the O-ring. It could have been something else. And so I think we have to be careful of standardization of deviance, which is you begin to explain the flashing red lights away. Whereas if you have a mind frame that, you know, the devil's trying and I better be ready for this, then you're going to, you're going to, at least in that case, you're going to uh, listen to the people who were worried about the changes in the weather. It was the weather in, in that case uh, that was convincing everyone that they should delay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all those, uh, it's just a compounding of factors yes. that just go, well, that wasn't really the problem. Oh, well, that wasn't a problem. Oh, well, that wasn't. And then it becomes a problem, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's a freight yeah. train of misery. Right, exactly. I mean, it is. And, and if, and I don't, you know, one of my fears about the book is, as you read is, you know, I don't, any number of people are writing books about blame, right? I mean, in other words, Boeing did this, BP did this, the environment is like this, you know, and, and I just, I, 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 it's not that I don't, um, uh, believe people are culpable for the activity. It is just, that's not helpful when, you know, when the thing happens, right? In other words, just the sort of, this sort of blame culture rather than, okay, my, my immediate needs are, I need to, need to protect life and property and networks and, and, and our communities. Mm, yeah. Cause I mean, the blame game, like you said, it's not helping anybody. And yeah. that I, I read through this repeatedly and I never, I never ran into the, the spot where it looked like you were saying, here's where the blame falls. It was really yeah. a very factual analysis and a big strategic position on 
like, look, here's what happened. And here's where there was an opportunity to do something better. That's what it is. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's, and, and that like the standard of success is less bad. Right. Isn't it? So, so I can, so one of the sort of my favorite examples in the book is that there, uh, we never hear about it, is that there was actually a nuclear facility down the street from Fukushima. Uh, it had uh, very rigorous uh, preparedness. It, it assumed it would fail and wanted and trained its staff and had governance systems and, and uh, protocols uh, that, al that allowed the facility to, to fail uh, uh, safer. Uh, and ultimately stopped any radiation leak, even though it too had been damaged from the earthquake and also wow. encountered waters with the tsunami. So we don't hear about that. So what happens is then we focus on Fukushima and create a narrative about, about nuclear energy, which then would later animate Japan, Germany, and other nations to think that, that, that nuclear energy was inherently unsafe. No, it's, well, in some ways, yes, but so is flying, you know, so is offshore drilling. All of these are inherently unsafe. These are risks that we are willing to take uh, and should likely take, uh, but our responsibility is to prepare to the, when there, when there is a failure. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Okay. So I, I know you're a super busy person, so I only want to take up a little bit more of your time. I want to, I want to point out this one graphic that was in here that I deal with execs all the time on their budget for cyber yes um, you've got this graphic on allocation of security money and it's got 80 cents to left the boom and 20 to right a boom and you you said in here uh let me make sure i quote this correctly it turns out institutions spending eight uh 80 pennies on left the boom investments compared to 20 pennies on right of boom investments why is it yeah. why, should it be 50 50 should it be 70 30 <laughs> depends. I mean, it depends on what the industry is. So I, I, I try not to be like, here's the right answer. But I think if you put before any CEO, um, that division, that's going to look negligent, right? So as, whether it's 50-50 or, or uh, you know, 60-40, it is that you have to anticipate that uh, the arrival and uh, and uh, and then nurture the capabilities to stop the cask what you know what we call the cascading losses and uh, and then that will make you better prepared for next time. So is it fair to say that your your budget is actually more of an uh, a moving target and it should be yeah. evolving based on the reality yes. of the space? Exactly, and what the consequences may be. So if I'm if I'm a critical infrastructure and um, and I, and my cyber protections are dependent on some notion that uh, that I can stop breach or that the breach will be manageable. I'm not doing enough planning, right? Because then I, I have to better figure out the redundancies in the system. Can I, you know, can I differentiate between HR and administrative networks versus operational networks, which we should always be doing. Uh, and this is how, I mean, part of, as I said, you know, part of it is sort of opening the curtain of what is going on. Cause I do think the public sort of has no sense of how we're thinking about disaster management uh, uh, in an age with these recurring disasters. These are some of the lessons that we're learning from disasters past. We have plenty of evidence. So we should, be, I mean, we should make sure people understand more about yeah. what we're doing and what we're yeah. planning. Yeah, and why it's necessary to do it. If you're, if you're not us, but you're overseeing a government or, you know, overseeing an agency or, or, or a company.
So last question, uh, I always like to ask people, everyone always talks about what to do. I always like to ask what not to do. Like, what do yeah. you think based on your research in this book, what's the one thing we should not be doing? Um, so since it's readers are envisioned to be people who are interested in this, um, I guess that's such a good question. Um, there, I have two. So one is, don't think we're so special. Like in other words, like, yeah, you know, nothing is that new, you know, and, and I can find some analogy as I do in the book from where we are today to some period past. The other is, um, is uh, know your role uh, or, or don't, don't act not at your role. In terms of leadership, what we, what I often see is, is you know, a desire to micromanage. That's actually not the role of leadership and management. It's to empower people who are trying to you know, curb the devil's influence. And, uh, and you see it a lot in, in a lot of these management wow. issues. Well, sage words, wisdom. Um, again, thank you for the early copy. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you all on the next one. Go buy this book, go read it twice, share it read it. It's biblical. Do the thing. <laughs> Thank you, Chase. I appreciate that. Stop the recording. Okay, wait. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter? No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.